Hello and welcome to the Elm Park Rolls podcast supported by Blue Collar Street Food. Well, today I've been joined by the ex-Reading player, Scott Davis. How are you doing, Scott? I'm very well, thanks, Paul. Yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. Still getting over the excitement of Shane Long signing uh, a little bit, do actually. You, <laughs> do, you know, do you know what? I saw it yesterday. I'm not saying I got emotional, um, but there's something about it that's just special. Do you know what I mean? I, I was looking at the tweets and I watched the nine minute 44 video this morning um, and I listened to him and he is that little fat podgy kid from Ireland still in my mind where he's come over, um, was bringing his hurling stick in, um, playing with it on the training ground. Um, he's literally just one of the nicest people I've ever met in football. Um, just such a good guy from a good family. Um, the bit that I heard about his mum still wearing a Reading shirt. I believe that it doesn't surprise me. Um, she's such a lovely lady. So, yeah, no. Do you know what? I'm going to make a conscious effort to get down to the club and watch um, watch a game this season. Hopefully, when he plays, um, it would be good to see him in the in the blue and white hoops again. Oh yeah, totally. I cannot wait for that. And the, the bit that really kind of like got me with the whole video is when he said, "Oh, I contacted the club because I wanted to come home." I'm yeah, like, exactly. Some people, I wouldn't believe that, but with him, I totally believe it. He's he's not that kind of guy that would say that. No, I'm going to try the same thing this afternoon, see if they'll have me back. So, uh, <laughs> no, I, when you're Shane Long, you, you can ring up Reading Football Club and ask to come home. Um, obviously, mine's a little bit different. Um, I was there a long time, but didn't have an impact like Shane. So, no, there's something like sentimental about it that's um, that's good. And I've seen a lot of tweets that are all positive. Um, just gives you that little spring in your step for everyone around the place. But the thing is, for Longy, that will probably be um quite awkward because he doesn't probably believe that he's a superstar um but in his eyes he's, he's loved by everyone at the club because of the way he plays the game leaves everything out there on the pitch um and just so down to earth um i couldn't ever imagine him like turning away a photo or an autograph uh, things like that just a just a well-grounded um man i guess that's that's had a great career yes totally totally um which kind of brings us on to what i've uh Brought you onto the uh, podcast for Scott. I was at a mental health chat that was hosted by both yourself and Brian McDermott last week, and I thought it was just absolutely fascinating. Some of the conversations that were happening in the room, and you just think, "Wow, there is so much going on in the football world that nobody knows about or wants to talk about," which is their prerogative. That's up to them. But they need help in so many ways, just like everyone else in life. It's a struggle sometimes. But can you, like, tell us about your story of, like, Reading FC and how it started and the issues that you had? Yeah, of course. Um, I remember going training with Reading for the first time when I was 14 years old. Um, I remember getting back in the car after, sat down with my dad. I said to my dad, I'm not good enough. And that was the first time in my life that I was playing a sport that I believed that I was half decent at. And it was the first time in my life that I questioned myself because the step up from Wickham Wanderers, where I was at at the time, um, seemed like too big a jump. Fast forward a few months, the club paid compensation to Wickham. Um, and it was a little bit of a roller coaster because I had stress fractures in my back when I was sort of like 15 years old from growing too quickly. And I was really struggling with injury. And I thought to myself, Do you know, what? I'm not going to get a scholarship. The thing that sort of probably bode quite well for me is that the club had obviously paid some money for me. Um, so to sign me as a 14-year-old and then release me as a 16-year-old wasn't going to make sense. 
so got my scholarship, um, moved into digs over in Calcott in Reading um, with a wonderful family, really, really good. I think I was very lucky that I had a um, good support network around me with them. Sort of moving to a town that I didn't know much about, um, learning your way around. Um, training was tough, obviously, at the beginning. It was with Brendan Rogers, who's the youth team manager, and he was brilliant. Um, absolutely loved the sort of three and a half months that we had with him. Until one day he brought us into a, a room at the Medeski Stadium um, and just said, Chelsea have come in for him. I'm going to have to leave. You can't turn that down. And we understood it. So in walked Damon Dolan. Um, like God rest his soul. It was one of, the, one of the hardest days I've had. I think it was going to his funeral. It was so emotional, um, so touching to hear people speak about him. And I think it wasn't long that he realised that I was a tough character in terms of um, trying to crack because... Um, I was very, very different in the way that I played to a lot of people. Really struggled to do the simple thing well, um, but could do the thing out of the ordinary. Um, and it was Steve Coppola that said to me, you've kind of learned to run before you can walk. Uh, you can't do the simple things. You can't see a five-yard pass. And that was something that sort of plagued me throughout my career. Um, obviously, youth team days were great. We had some fantastic players that done really, really well. Um, I ended up going out on loan for two years to Aldershot, uh, which I really enjoyed. At the time, going there, I, I didn't want to go. Um, I thought to myself, do you know what? I see other lads sort of breaking into the first team. Um, and it wasn't my time to do that yet, I guess. So going out on loan was, was great. But I think being away for two years from the football club, I remember walking back into the changing room and everyone had their own sort of little cliques and friendship groups. And I found it really tough. I felt like I was a trialist. Um, felt really, really different to before when I left. Um, obviously made my debut under Brendan. Um, I messed that up from sort of habits that were going on off the pitch with gambling and, and addiction that I sort of struggled with for 10 and a half years. And then left the club in 2011 um, at the age of 23. To leave a football club at the age of 23 with five appearances is quite rare now. It's quite an old age to leave, um, having been there full-time from the age of 16 um, and only make five, five appearances. Um, I think they were in five matches in a row. Um, so it just shows that, yeah, I was there for a long time and I think they were waiting for me to kind of do well. Um, but there was a lot of things going on that I'm sure we can delve into um, off the pitch that I didn't know how to cope with. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, there is a hell of a lot there, isn't there? I mean, we're going to more like your personal issues like that apply to you in, in a more depth, but how many players are there roughly like these issues going on that we just don't know about? Because we see it, we're so so many people just say, oh, well, these players are on lots of money. They're all going to be fine. They can't have any issues. It just doesn't work like that, does it? No, it doesn't. It's like you say, you can have as much money in the world as, as you wish for. Um, and if up here is not, it's not correct, then you are going to struggle. There's things in life that um, will make people happy, sad, angry, upset, all of those emotions. And it's about how we deal with it. You can go out and play in front of 25,000 people at the Medeski on a Saturday, but it doesn't mean that you're immune from your feelings and your emotions. Um, people obviously think that money is the source to happiness. I can honestly say hand on heart that when I had more money than I've ever had, I was the unhappiest I've ever been. Um, I actually worry now about, I said this to Brian on the phone yesterday, actually, Brian McDermott, that I actually worry about becoming rich again. Um, I don't think I ever will be, but I worry about becoming rich because the person that I was when I was rich, I didn't like. I look back now and think my characteristics, my personality traits were completely off. They weren't the real Scott Davis who has usually got a big heart, who's got time for people, cares about other people and treats them respectfully. I was 
what you'd call is probably an idiot. Um, I didn't like it. So for me to to reach out to someone when I was struggling, when I was usually the loudest person, probably the most boisterous person at the training ground, would have been abnormal. People probably would have turned around and said, well, if he's struggling, then surely everyone else must be because he puts on this uh, brave face, this mask every day um, to say that he's okay. And it's it's like you said, I, there was days where I was really struggling from what was going on off the pitch in my personal life, family issues, um, crashing my car, writing my car off, had my jaw broken on a night out. There was so many things. Um, and to try and maintain a successful football career while that's going on, it was really tough. Yeah, that's not the perfect way to have a football career, is it, <laughs> at all? No. Uh, it really isn't. I mean, you touched on the gambling. How bad did that get? Yeah, bad. I was going to say, I ended up, I talk quite openly about amounts because um, it's been publicised before, but I was losing sort of 80% of my wages every single month. Once the, the bills had gone out on the first of the month, whether it was to pay for my car, my phone bill, um, the rest of it was just squandered. And... It was something that I'd lost control of probably at the age of 18. It became quite bad. Um, going out on loan towards a shot, coming back to the football club and getting rewarded with a new contract was one of the worst things that ever happened to me because it completely changed my relationship with gambling. Um, I was earning more money than my mum and dad put together at the age of 19. I was living at home and not paying rent, um, driving nice cars. And I was just reckless in everything that I was doing, whether that was... Um, crashing my car, um, getting speeding tickets for sort of like just under 100 miles an hour and a 60, going on nights out and getting my jaw broken, um, obviously gambling away a lot of money, um, things that happened with girls uh, at the time where I, I had my, um, one of the girls pregnant and dealing with all of that pressure at a, a young age, even though it was something that I could have controlled, I'd lost control and trying to regain that control is the toughest thing. Um, it's almost like letting something slip and trying to catch it before it hits the floor. It's, it's just felt constant um, pressure. Um, and then you add football to that as well, where you're trying to succeed in an industry that's so cutthroat, so brutal. Um, and playing against players that are doing it the right way, whereas I wasn't. I got my comeuppance at Reading. I got released in 2011 and I have no problem with that. A lot of players will say they didn't deserve this, they didn't deserve that. I'm very different to a lot of players where I'll say I did deserve it. Um, because I look at your likes of Jem Carajan, Simon Church, Alex Pierce, there's just a few to name that did things correctly. Um, they were so professional. And I looked at them at the time and thought, you know what? They're, they're busy. Like, I used to call them busy people that just stayed at the training ground in the afternoon when I was in the bookmakers. And I look back now, I can smile. Um, they did it the right way, let me assure you. Yeah, yeah. It, it, hindsight is the best thing in the world, though, isn't it? It's so easy to say these things did you feel like you had to live up to a certain image of being a footballer at any point yeah no one made me live up to that image um apart from myself i was going to say i wanted the niceties in life i wanted the nice watches the cars um the designer clothes and things like that i've never been a designer clothes person that's one thing for me like i from the background that i've come from um, raised by brilliant people that have never been uh, materialistic, chauvinistic, any of those things. It's almost like, right, you're in this environment now. He's got the latest designer jeans on, the latest trainers. I need that. Someone drives in in a new Range Rover. It's like, well, I want that, but I can't afford it. But I'm already gambling, so maybe I can win it. And all of these things in a um, in a sort of an ideal world, uh, you sort of paint this picture and thinking, well, do you know what? I can convince myself that I won't have to pay for it. Um, and being involved in, in gambling as a footballer is one of the most dangerous things because 
if you're a footballer, you're going to be extremely competitive. Um, and if you start gambling and you start losing bets and you keep losing and keep losing, you don't stop because that competitive edge, that competitive streak inside you um, gives you that fuel, that fire to carry on. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're you're slipping to the edge of that cliff. You're losing control. And before I knew it, I was probably an addict by the time I was 19. Um, and like you say, 19 to the age of 27, when I eventually stopped, um, I'm going to touch some wood here because I say stopped. I've obviously got to be careful every day now in terms of how I live my life, but I never plan on going back to that that world um, of being a, being a gambler because it just doesn't suit me and I don't I didn't enjoy it. No, no. I mean, you must do talks around, well, probably around the world now, different locations, talking to young players. When you look at money that players now receive before they can even make the first team, I mean, it's quite incredible the temptation for them to get involved in that or in other people to entice them into it. Yeah, exactly. I think now there's there's more more done sort of financially in terms of players' money and what they're doing with it, their agents or they've got financial advisors that are taking money off them. However, that's only a small percentage. There'll be a lot of players out there still that will get to the age of 35, 36, retire and then think, right, a whole new chapter of my life is starting. What do I do? I had a chat with a friend of mine that's recently retired and it's almost like autopilot for a footballer that you retire and you go and get your coaching badges. But there's only a certain amount of coaching jobs in football and you've got all of these people doing the badges trying to get into that industry. And it's going to be stopped somewhere. Um, it's really, really difficult for them to sort of make that break. Um, it's all about people you know. But footballers aren't, I don't want to sound too stereotypical, but a lot of footballers aren't clued up in terms of what they're going to do after the game's finished or they've not got the right qualifications. They want to stay in the game, but they're not sure in what capacity. Um, and going to work Monday to Friday, nine to five, it hits them hard when they have to do it. And I did that when I left um, professional football in 2014. I was building beds for a living uh, on £10 an hour. And that's when it really, really hit home where I thought, wow, like welcome to the real world. It's not... It's not as great as it seems um, in terms of getting out of football, which I thought would be a good thing for me at the time. Um, it was it was really tough. And then you lose that identity as a footballer. People asking you questions, how's your football going? And you have to say to them, oh, I'm not a footballer anymore. And you've been a footballer in everyone's mind in the town that you live in from the age of 12, 13 years old. Um, so, yeah, it does, it does come with that pressure. Um, but don't get me wrong, there were some great moments in my, in my career where um i couldn't put a price on things um but looking back now it's probably outweighed by the by the days where they're a little bit darker yeah 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 totally i mean it's a it's a crazy world football isn't it when you look at how much energy that you put into those can maybe 15 year career maximum probably for most players that's their life they go from kind of like well if you go from an eight-year-old it's maybe 20 year old so you're going to focus everything into that because the games are huge and also you want to be part of that so why would you really focus on anything else you know what as well now i know you said the word you there a lot and now it's completely shifted um a lot of parents putting pressure on some of these young players for me is incredible i've had people follow me recently on twitter that their name is um, like, for take for example, say my dad set up a Twitter account, it would be Scott the centre midfielder would be his Twitter name, and it's just a twit, it's just a Twitter account that's dedicated to to their son or to their daughter, um, putting up videos and training they're doing in the garden. And these are people that have got children that are sort of ten years old, and I'm thinking, well, straight away you're trying to create this sort of 
um, account for a young person to become um, a superstar, to put them on this pedestal. And it's dangerous. Like, let them go and play football. Let them go and enjoy it. See how far they get. If you want to pay for them to get some extra coaching, fine. But we don't all need to know about it. Just do it behind closed doors. Because one day that if they don't get to where they want to get to, the only people that know that they've not, don't want to use the word failed, um, mm. not got to where they want to get to, their, to their desired destination as such, is the people that live in the house, not thousands of people that have seen the retweets and the likes on Twitter, because it's such a tough industry to crack. And I'm probably quite harsh on myself and say to people that I didn't make the most of my career. And um, that's not just me being, that's not me being arrogant, because I, I wouldn't ever hopefully call myself that. But I've had a lot of ex-managers that say, do you know what, you should have done better. So I take that as a compliment. Um, and I look back now and think, I didn't make the most of mine um, because of the way that I did things. And for me, I can live with that. But I never had pressure from my parents to go and do really well. They were there to support me in every match that I ever played, always in the stands or on the sidelines, um, took me here, there and everywhere. But ultimately, I let myself down. I let my mum and dad down. But I didn't let people down where... Um, there wasn't unexpected pressure from elsewhere, which a lot of these young players are going through now because it can they can ultimately change their parents' life if it goes well. And I almost think it's quite selfish. I think it is selfish. Yeah, they're creating yeah. a monster, aren't they? Because imagine being, a, I mean, you've, you've been there probably, <laughs> creating this kind of like 10-year-old who's thinking, if I don't achieve this kind of like contract at a good club, wherever that is, they're not going to have any money or they're relying on me. They're pressurising me every single day to do this. That's just a horrific situation to be in. But do you know what? If, if if being a footballer is better than being a doctor, for example, which I don't believe it is because they save lives and they do an incredible job, you never see someone who's a um, parent of a young child forcing their child to be a doctor. And for me, that's a bigger success. And I know there's probably more doctors in the world out there than there is footballers because there's not there's not many people that make it as a professional. Um, but we've got to realise that it's just a sport. It's just a hobby. And some people can make money out of it and a great lifestyle. Um, but it's like you say, it seems like it's the apple of everyone's eye. Um, and it's really, really difficult. But I think I've spoke to a lot of parents over the past few years who have asked my advice. And when they ask my advice, and I'm completely honest with them, brutally honest, I think they probably get off the call and think, that wasn't what, was I, what I was expecting. But I'm not going to lie to these people because it's it's just huge. It's huge that they have to realise, take a step back, evaluate the situation and, and understand that, what is it, 0.01% of young players that want to become footballers actually do. Um, the stats are, are so, so low. Um, and I think that's where I'm harsh on myself that I did manage to play professional football. Um, but I look back now and think, yeah, I did play, but I wish I'd have done more. I just look at the dangers of fame because with fame comes social media pressure and you're forgiving that to a young child. Social media pressure. I mean, Scott, when you were playing, social media wasn't really there, was it? So now the whole generation of young players coming through with social media, that's a whole world that a lot of us have never seen. And the highs and the lows, it's like, you talk to ex-players and they say the one thing that they will notice, some of them, not all of them, but some of them will say, they'll see a thousand comments saying, you were brilliant, you were amazing, you scored a hat-trick. And if someone will say something derogatory at some point, and that's the one that will sit with them. And it's 100%. human nature. I understand that completely. Yeah, I remember sort of like the back end of my professional career, um, playing for Crawley and Oxford United, Twitter and stuff was just taking off. And 
I remember going on the on the comments where it would say, I don't know, Davis has a shot and it's gone wide as a goal. And I would scroll through and look for my name on the on the match day feed. And you'd click on it and see there'd be like three or four replies and people would be replying saying, no surprise there, like he's useless, he's this, he's that. The following week, you'll score a goal and the same people have written, oh, what a fantastic strike. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, you can't have your cake and eat it. It's, it's, it's two completely different um, reactions to a post. But that's how fickle, obviously, the game is and fans, uh, one minute they hate you, one minute they, uh, they love you. And it, it is tough because... Everyone's opinion is heard these days. It's not like um, the only opinion you can hear is the fans on a Saturday, which is quite blurred in terms of the noise. Um, you go home and you can see it on forums. You can see it on Twitter. You can see messages on Instagram now because people's accounts can be sent messages. And um, it is difficult. It really is. But I was one of those people that went searching for everything, uh, even playing for Reading at the time. In that short spell, I remember going on Hobnob or anyone or whatever it's called. I've been on there myself. I've read comments because... I thought at the beginning when I scored against Chelsea in pre-season um, and I played against Nottingham Forest and, and done quite well in that game, um, I remember going on there thinking, people are going to love me. People are going to love me. I've got to get on there and see what they're saying. And mm-hmm. everything was brilliant. It was great. Um, but it's like you say, when it takes, sort of takes a turn and, and you're out of the team, um, all of a sudden you don't want to go on there. You think to yourself, well, I'm not even selected as part of the team. I've come on a sub today and I've not done too well. Um, and I didn't want to read those comments because I knew that it would have an impact with what was going on up here. So, yeah, it's it's, it's weird. It's really, really, really strange. Um, but we're a lot more accessible now as people in this day and age, whether it's in football or out of football, um, to hear people's opinions. There are pros and cons to social media. It's not all negative, so I'm not going to say that it is. But if you're a 16-year-old player coming through, you can be told you're the greatest thing ever. And I'm not sure that's necessarily good because you've got so much to prove still. 100%. I think that's where I was lucky that I had my dad um, that had sort of played non-league football uh, at good level for sort of 20 years, who understood the pressures of football. Um, He he understood the success of football as well. Um, He had some great times in his career. And I was never, ever, ever put on a pedestal by my dad. He kept me grounded the whole time. It was like, if I'd had a sort of nine out of 10 game in the youth team, in his eyes, it was a five and a half, six. He always found that way to sort of keep me level, keep me grounded. He critiqued my game. And my dad's opinion to me has always mattered more than anyone else's. Even when I had um, Steve Coppel as a young player, Brendan Rodgers as a first-team player, uh, first-team manager, Brian as a reserve team and then first manager. I respected these people highly, of course I did, but my dad's opinion used to stick with me for longer. Um, mm. So it's like you say, I think it's so important to have that um I think it's important important to have that external support, but it can be detrimental, that's for sure. Yeah, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, though, wasn't it? When someone's trying to put pressure on a 10-year-old, if you've got a bad influence and that's your dad or your parent or someone in your family around you, that's going to have a real long-term impact on you, isn't it? So I completely understand why your dad would be your biggest influence. I I get that totally. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm I'm quite proud to say it because obviously there's a lot of players out there that don't have that father figure and and things like that. I was very, very lucky. And I think that's where people are quite shocked that I went through with my gambling. Um, It was able to go on for so long because they know how close I am with my parents. And they said, well, did they not intervene? Did they not step in? They tried so many times, but the addiction is so much stronger than the love you have for your parents. And that's sad to say. Um, Obviously, I've got that back now because I don't don't gamble. Um, I love my mum and dad as much as I love like the 
the, my wife, my sister, um, got a great relationship with them. And it, it's like you say, there's, there's some things that you just can't help with. Um, my mum felt helpless at the time and we've had some heart to heart since because we're both adults now. Whereas when I was getting help that I needed from gambling, I still felt like a young boy. Um, even at 27 years old, I didn't feel 27. I felt like I was vulnerable. I was weak, needed my mum, needed my dad. Do you know what I mean? It's it's very, very different. Um, so yeah, no, I guess I'm one of the lucky ones. Do you think some of that's down to the fact as footballers, you're not kind of in this real world of being an adult somewhat in some ways, because <laughs> so much is done for you on a daily basis. And I'm not saying that anything is like wrong about that because that's just the way it works. But it does, if you have to come out of it when you're kind of still quite young, that must be really difficult. My mates used to call me Peter Pan, the boy that never grew up. And that that just sums it up completely. So they would all be in sort of jobs where um, recruitment, they were tradesmen and things like that. And I used to go on nights out with them, I'd go out for dinner and they'd be like, you like Peter Pan? Like, when are you going to grow up? And being in that environment of a football um, environment, it's just a bunch of kids. Honestly, the banter, the bravado, the way in which people act, uh, treat each other, the jokes. Um, it's just ridiculous. It's like being in a nursery at times. Um, and it's like you say, when something does go wrong, it's like, well, I've got to be a man about it. I've got to be an adult about it. I'd never mm. learned how to be an adult until probably the age of 20, I'd say 28, 29, when I actually met my um, my wife, uh, my, my wife now. Um, I didn't probably grow up for a very long time and that's the football environment which it gets hold of you. There are a few that break that rule. Um, they are an exception to the rule that mm. um, are mature um, and they have grown up. Um, and those ones are usually the ones that go on to do quite well. Um, but then you have the likes of other people, I won't go into names, that yeah, just, just don't want to grow up. It's like every day is a day of fun. Um, every day is banter. Every day is bravado and yeah, it's, that's what football can do to you, I guess. Yeah, that's why I think there's so many issues when players retire. They're just not equipped for it because if they don't find that coaching role, they've got nothing, have they, at all? And it's, you see people breaking down. It's just horrible to watch. Yeah, it smacks you in the face. There's no other way of putting it. When you, when you come out of football and all of a sudden, well, you're not getting up at, I don't know, half eight, nine o'clock to travel to work. Um, you're not walking into that changing room. You've not got the travelling up on a Friday to away games. You've not got the walking out on a Saturday at three o'clock. Your routine and your structure is completely gone. And you're like, right, I need to focus. I need to get back on the horse and, and start riding it again. And I was going to say that gambling pun is not great, is it? But it's, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, one of, it's one of those ones where your whole routine is gone. All of a sudden, you're not getting your lunch cooked for you. You're not getting your washing done for you. You're not getting paid the amounts that you were. Um, and you have to almost strip yourself back down and go again. Um, find a whole new lease of life. And that's not me feeling sorry for... It's not feeling sorry for myself when I came out of the game or feeling sorry for anyone else. Because hopefully, if you've done it the right way, you've had a great 10, 15 years mm. of career um, that other people would have been desperate for. But for some reason, there's something that stops people planning for a future after football. Um, there's not many that that actually do it, um, but the ones that I know that do plan for that future um, are doing really well, doing great things. Um, but more often than not, you see the, the de decline in terms of people falling out of the game. You see a decline in their mental health, um, you see a decline in their personality, their character. Um, and they face a lot of problems when they come out of the game. And that's where I think that we can all do more to help, um, obviously trying to do more stopping people going down the route of gambling um which has been a success because i know that 
once football's over and you're not earning that amount of money as um, as, we, as what you were at one point, I know people will try and make that gap up by by gambling and, and trying to win that money back, which can be an obviously um, a massive negative to to their lives. Yeah, yeah, totally. Do you think there is enough support there? Because I, I, from the experiences I've seen from people, there really isn't from sort of people like the PFA maybe. But I don't know, there needs to be support from maybe your next players, so maybe, you know, yourself maybe with some other people. I don't know what your plans I've, are. Yeah, I've had talks recently with um, with Brian about maybe getting something together. And um, a lot of players that I speak to go and get counselling and... They speak to the counsellor and say they just don't understand me because footballer is such a unique person in terms of the life that we've lived, the way we've been mollycoddled and things like that. They'll ring me and say, can I just speak to you instead, Scott? I'm not a qualified counsellor, so I can't turn around and say, yeah, I can give you all of my advice and what to do. I, all I can ever say to them is that I can give you my experiences on how I got out of this situation. Um, so there is probably help there that's necessary, that's needed. I'm very, very different to a lot of people. I think that say that the PFA don't do enough, don't do this, don't do that. The the actual help is there, but not enough, not enough people access it because they might be worried about people's opinions if they're struggling. They're worried about their wives and girlfriends finding out. Um, the PFA put me through counselling. They paid for my degree. Um, so I'm very, very grateful that I had the financial help to be able to go and do my degree um, and the financial help to go to rehab for 26 days in 2015 because ultimately that's what changed my life. Um, got me back on the straight and narrow um, without them, without the PFA, God knows where I'd have been. So I'm very, very lucky. Um, but a lot of people's experiences with the PFA aren't so great. But I, I actually think quite highly of them for what they've done for me personally. Yeah, that's great to hear, isn't it? I mean, it gets a lot of um, criticism, the PFA. There's no doubt. <laughs> Lots of different things. Yeah. But it's good to hear some positive uh, about it. And with football, it's just such a brutal industry. So, I mean, I think it is one of the most brutal industries you could find because you can be the greatest thing one day and if somebody comes in and replaces you in the team, that could be you out for 10 months and your whole career changed. Uh, I can't think of anything more brutal than that. And for, to deal with that mentally is incredibly difficult, I would imagine. Well, that's what happened with me and Gilfie Sigurdsson. He took my place and I never played again. So I can relate to that. Um, but you know what? Yeah, just looking at something like that is... I start, obviously I'll, I'll refer back to football now, is that that season that I did start and played in the pre-season friendlies, I felt brilliant. I felt great. I thought, you know what, mm. this is going to be me for a long time now. And I think there was there was a little bit of talk, I think, from going on Hobnob and my shirt was up in the front window of the mega store. I remember walking past um, the mega store the week after I scored against Chelsea. And I was thinking, what is my name doing as the, on the home kit and the away kit in the front of the mega store in the window? And for me, that was like, wow, like I never expected it because I was a nobody. Um, so I felt like I was sort of walking on water at that moment in time. Um, obviously, played against Nottingham Forest, which was my debut. Um, we drew nil-nil, but I, I played quite well at the time. Newcastle away games like that. And then it all came to a halt. Um, I remember having a chat with Brendan, which didn't go down too well, um, about my discipline, my application, things like that. Ultimately, I got caught out um, because I wasn't doing enough. Guilty took my place. And then all of a sudden, I was never seen again. I never stepped foot on the pitch red never again because this wonder kid um, turned up the turned up the heat and he was brilliant. Like it was one of the best seasons I think I've ever seen from a footballer individually. Some of the goals that he was scoring, the assists he was getting, and it's like you say that was 
that happened overnight, um, for just from one day to the next. I remember sort of appearing on the bench a couple of times for um, Brian when he took over, desperate to sort of get my chance again. It never came. Um, I'll tell him about that actually tomorrow. I'll, I'll make sure that he hears about it again. Um, but yeah, I was desperate. I felt like I was ready to go. But looking back, I probably wasn't um, in terms of what was going off the pitch. Ability-wise, I believed in myself. Um, but it, 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 is a, it is a massive kick in the teeth, I think, because... Um, you're onto the right path for a very short period in that season, and then all of a sudden it's derailed, um, and that opportunity is just completely gone. So, but like you say, I was the one to blame for it. Um, no one else. I've always um, stuck by my guns and said that, and that will never change. Well, I really appreciate your honesty, uh, Scott. It's been really good having a chat, and it sounds like you're totally on the right path, to be honest, from everything I've seen from you and read about you. Um, just want to say well done for what you've done, and thanks for coming on the podcast. No, thank you, Paul. I was going to say, just to sort of like touch on, because obviously we've done the talk with um, with Brian, um, hopefully, like you said, uh, pre-show, pre, um, pre-chat, we will get something together in Reading where me and Brian can deliver, and hopefully the fans that do listen to this or do watch this um will come along um it's obviously a safe space it's a it's a place where there's no judgment it's just a load of people no managers no footballers because we're not seen as that just humans having a chat um, about our emotions and feelings and hopefully um we can help people along the way it would be great if anyone's struggling with their gambling as well feel free to reach out to me um if i can help so it's been great to speak to you mate i really enjoyed that and um thank you for having me cool absolute pleasure cheers <laughs> cheers paul thanks no problem